The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those of you who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where you shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members, as always. You are keeping Veritas alive. Tonight's special guest is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, Stephen Bassett, Exopolitical Year in Review. Steve will be with us shortly. And this is a great time to be a Veritas member. We have a great lineup of guests coming to you. And here are some of them. Richard Dolan, who's going to be our guest next week. Dr. Brooks Agnew. Jordan Maxwell. Yes, Jordan Maxwell. Finally, we were able to coordinate. William Henry, A.J. Givert, and many more. Visit our website for more updates. To listen to this full show and all our past and future shows, become a Veritas member. Just go to the website, veritasshow.com, and click on subscribe. By the way, as I shared with you a few days ago, because our inventory of shows and content has grown, I had to make the decision of lowering our sound quality, which in my opinion is one of those features that differentiates us from the rest as well as removing many past shows from our servers. It was either that or upgrading services. 
which allows us to keep our current format. Well, I decided to go with the latter and had to slightly increase our subscription rate to $7 per month. The good news is that those of you who are currently subscribed to the recurring option will continue with the old rate as long as you don't cancel. Unfortunately, sometimes PayPal cancels you if your credit card expires or if you change certain information. If that happens, sorry, I don't have a way to turn back and the new rate will apply. But I wanted you to know that the old rate has been grandfathered to you for now. And just a few housekeeping items. Because of the number of messages I'm currently receiving, I'm no longer accepting guest recommendations via email. Why? For a number of reasons. First, they get lost in the Bermuda Triangle of my email inbox. Second, I want to give priority to Veritas members. So what are you to do? Simple. There is a thread at the Manticore form called Guest Recommendations. That is the list slash repository of guests that I'm looking at all the time. And mainly, I will choose most of our prospective guests from there. Believe me, it is much better this way, and I will be able to consider your choices this way. The same applies for guest questions. Every week, I open a thread giving Veritas members the opportunity to ask questions for the guests. Remember, this is your show, and I'm here simply as a bridge between you and the guests. When you become a Veritas member, you are my priority, and I thank you for that. NASA images Earth-sized spherical objects inside Corona of the Sun. Now, this is, in my opinion, one of the hottest stories I have seen in a long time. Earth-sized objects have been picked up by SOHO near the sun. Now, this topic is truly fascinating, and it seems to be spreading like wildfire, although no one has an explanation, and SOHO and NASA are keeping quiet. In fact, they have started to Photoshop the images. I call that damage control. But it's too late, as the originals are now on the web for all to see. At the forum, once again, talking about the forum, you can see the before and after pictures. Futile attempt by NASA to block them by putting black squares on top of where the objects the size of Earth are seen. This is, of course, in the newer versions of the images. UFOs, yes, you heard that right, UFOs the size of Earth. Debunkers have tried to do their best, but their attempts have been met by researchers and experts showing the before and after versions. If this is not more proof that NASA is just a branch of the Department of Defense and that it is in existence to give us the illusion of space exploration, I don't know what else can convince you. Some of these images have been blacked out. They did not think that in the information age, people would not take those images and save them elsewhere. I have never seen them go to this extreme to hide something. It makes me want to contact Dr. Carl Rosin, who, if some of you who know the Disclosure Project, she was one of the witnesses, and she actually went through that uh, and the airbrushing business of uh, a lot of the NASA images. You can look at these images everywhere, or you can see a compilation right at the Manticore Forum. And again, speaking of the forum, one of our news sources sent me a great compilation of how-to slash survival documents that you must have with you. The title reads, How to 
slash survival free downloads. Save as PDFs on your computer before the net goes down. You know, I don't like to spread fear. And if I discuss these subjects, it's because I want all of us to be prepared. Especially the urban types like me who live in harsh and extreme environments, like the desert or very cold locations. They say the future is of those who prepare. Well, if you want to be prepared and are a Veritas member, then head on over to the Magical Forum, where this very important thread is posted there. And there are literally hundreds of free publications on PDF dealing with let me read you some of the titles. And these titles have dozens of documents attached to them. Gardening, wild foraging, and self-sufficiency. Food preservation, cooking, canning, curing, etc. USDA Complete Guide to Home Canning. Water. Heating, energy, and fuel. Livestock. Hog trapping. Medicine. Survival manuals and information. Building-related. Survival shelters and more. Communication and other skills and useful information. I want to thank Kimberly for these and all the news she forwards to me 24-7. You really have your finger on the pulse, Kimberly, and I want to thank you once again for keeping me informed. Folks, if you are a Veritas member and are not taking advantage of the forum, remember, my interaction with you does not end with the show. It only begins. You won't find the information at the forum in the mainstream media or perhaps anywhere else. It only takes a few seconds to register, and if you're not a Veritas member, well, this is another feature that you get as a member. Don't wait. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on subscribe. You'll receive immediate access to all our features. And now, get ready to discuss exopolitics and the prospects of disclosure with someone who defines the word perseverance. Exopolitical year in review. What will it take to force the formal acknowledgement of the extraterrestrial presence on Earth? Find out by staying with us. Stephen Bassett is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. right here on the Veritas show is supplied by the independent artists from Jamendo.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on the guest, look up the song, and download it. You can even buy the group's CDs, in many cases right there at Jamendo.com. This is Carrie Cassidy. And this is Bill Ryan from Project Camelot. And you're listening to The Veritas Show. Stephen Bassett is arguably the leading advocate in the United States for ending the 61-year government-imposed truth embargo regarding an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He is a political activist, lobbyist, commentator, and columnist. He is the founder of the Paradigm Research Group, the executive director of the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, the creator of the Paradigm Clock, and the executive producer of the X Conference. His work has been covered internationally. 
Since 1996, he has assisted numerous organizations and initiatives, working to raise public awareness, convene open congressional hearings to take government witness testimony, and end the truth embargo. He has appeared on hundreds of radio and television talk shows and in numerous documentaries, speaking to millions of people about the implications and likelihood of disclosure, the formal acknowledgement of the extraterrestrial presence by world governments. And directly from Maryland, right next to the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, Mr. Stephen Bassett. Hello, Stephen, and welcome back to The Veritas Show. How are you? I'm fine, Mel. It's always good to be with you. It's a pleasure, Steve. But the title of this show tonight is Exopolitical Year in Review. I have a lot of questions for you, but first, I want to get your reaction on the elimination of the British Ministry of Defense UFO desk. It cost 44,000 pounds or about $73,000 to run. Mm. And the closing, they can focus on more important activities like uh, the war in Afghanistan, etc. It's very contradicting to see how they started releasing a lot of this, the classified files, and now all of a sudden they're shutting down. What do you think happened and what do you believe is the impact on the extraterrestrial disclosure movement? Mm. Well, uh, for those, for people who are not following this issue closely, which includes some of the press that wrote articles about it, there were quite a few articles about the MOD, UFO desk closing. One might assume, gee, the British government has decided the issue is uh, clearly no longer of any importance, time to get out of that business and do something else. Nothing could be further from the truth. The proper way to interpret this is this. Um, a few years back, the UK started releasing thousands of its UFO files in an orderly fashion. Um, certainly not everything they have, but thousands of files. And the effect of that was to put pressure on the United States uh, regarding the truth embargo, which the United States is leading. And the United States is, is the, the de facto leader of the truth embargo since it was formalized in 1952. And our allies have gone along with that. Um, they, we were the, the principal defense for them uh, against the Soviet Union. We had been a major factor in World War II. We were owed big time, and uh, they were happy to go along with our request that this thing be kept embargoed. Fine. Uh, but the impatient, impatience with the embargo grew after it, the war ended, Cold War, war, um, Cold war ended, and um, uh, the country started uh, showing that by releasing files, including the U.K., when the UK re started releasing these files, it generated huge numbers of articles in the UK press about the UFO issue, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And more sightings were happening, uh, more reports. So they were getting a lot of pressure on their government, right, to respond to this and that. Uh, so in one stroke, masterful little stroke, what they did was they closed the UFO desk down, which cost them practically nothing to try to take some pressure off themselves, meaning, you know, uh, the, the statement they made was, was the standard non-denial denial, that uh, the phenomena doesn't pose a threat, so we see no need to, quote, have a desk, um, but n not stating that there's no issue here, there's no, no, uh, no ET issue. So they took pressure off themselves, but in the same announcement at the MOD website, they indicated they were going to continue to release more of their UFO files. And so what's happened here is the UK has sent a message to the United States, its closest ally, on just about every major issue, that it will not be the nation to preempt us. Uh, 
that France might do it, China might do it, Russia might do it, but the UK will not announce the ET presence, at least under Gordon Brown. Now, uh, as it happens, David Cameron, the prime minister in waiting, as it were, since Brown's numbers are very low, has actually stated publicly that he would would be more open and willing to release more information on the UFO issue uh, if he were prime minister. Uh, but they're saying, we will not uh, uh, disclose ahead of you, but we're still going to keep the pressure on you. And that's actually what's going on. It's not about saving $77,000. It's about positioning. And this is an important term, Mel. Uh, not surprisingly, given that the disclosure of the extraterrestrial presence will be, I think, the most profound event in human history with enormous political, geopolitical consequences. Um, as we get closer to it, people, institutions, nations, even churches are positioning themselves to try to be at least in the proper posture when it takes place. That includes the Catholic Church, it includes some corporations, it includes science, uh, and it includes the uh, United Kingdom. So uh, this is all about a positioning process going on leading into disclosure. That's the proper way to look at it. And I also want to get one more reaction from you. This one is uh, on the latest development uh, regarding Gary McKinnon. You know, the poor guy must feel like a ping pong ball. Today he's being extradited, tomorrow he's not. And now that I don't even use the word hacker, I always like to discuss what if scenarios with you, Steve. What if he is finally extradited? Paint for yeah. us a scenario as to how a trial will take place if Gary will be tried. He must discuss what his findings were, I presume, and since our government continues to deny, don't you think they'll just use a technicality and won't even discuss that and just say that he accessed national defense computers illegally and that's it, and they'll throw away the key? Uh, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, the Gary McKinnon case was one of the most important events, one of the more important events of 2009. This is a very odd situation. And again, you have to know the big picture to try to understand what in the world is going on with Gary McKinnon. Let's be clear. The United States' um, computer systems, defense, intelligence, and NASA computer systems and others, are under daily hacking attack. Hack attack, call yeah. it, right? It's, it's relentless. It never stops. Uh, and and much of this is coming from highly sophisticated equipment and specialists working in foreign nations like North Korea and China. We spend billions of dollars to, quote, defend ourselves to, against this sophisticated hacking that's going on. Gary McKinnon was an amateur working with basic equipment, off-the-shelf software, little password manipulation stuff. And he went cruising through some computers, including NASA, looking for UFO stuff. He found some things which he thought were interesting. He did not keep a record. He did not download. So we don't, we don't even know. We don't have hard, tangible proof of what he found. But that doesn't really matter. The point is, is that he went cruising through some of these computers. And two things to be noted about that. One, he was caught just after 911. So the U.S. was hypersensitive at that time. I'll grant, I'll grant that. Um, but what happened at later is very odd. The U.S. kept the pressure on the U.K. and finally went into full extradition mode about five years ago. They've now been trying to extradite him for five years. They've, they've tried to make him out to be a Uber hacker like Mitnick. Um, and they spent a lot of money. Worse, they have 
damaged uh, public relations wise our situation with the British public. Uh, he has supporters in the entertainment community over there, the sports celebrities. People have been protesting. So it's become a public disa- uh, relations disaster for us. And again, what he was doing is nothing, absolutely nothing compared to the constant barrage of computer attacks that we're under all the time. So why on earth would they spend years and years and years trying to get poor Gary McKinnon to the United States to try him under the Homeland Security Act? Again, it's, it, it is, it's one of these, these things that, that if you don't factor in the truth embargo, if you don't factor in this Lewis Carolian uh, reality that's been created by this embargo as it's existed now, continued to exist for 62 years, 19 years since the Cold War ended, you can't understand this. But when you factor it in, it sort of clears it. What, what's going on here, in my view, is that the U.S. government has been using Gary as a kind of a stalking horse to send a message out there to all the kids and the high school kids and the college kids, everybody else that's would love to go uh, uh, perusing for UFO stuff. Don't do that. Don't come looking for UFO stuff. Don't bug us about that. Um, and the reason for that would be that it creates problems. It creates public relations problems. It, it, it raises the issue, right? It brings the issue into the press. One of the things that's happened uh, was when, once Gary was, was, uh, was outed was that it generated a lot of media. Now, admittedly, their efforts to extradite has generated more media, but the same token, they've sent a message to all the Gary McKinnons, don't come looking for UFO stuff. We don't want to have 25 high school kids being picked up or checked into who are looking for UFO stuff. It puts pressure on them. The the, the biggest problem the government has in terms of executing a disclosure event is doing it cleanly. Now, this, this may not sound... Uh, it may not be clear right away, but but essentially a clean disclosure event is when the government makes an announcement. There's no real uh, uh, awareness that it's coming or nobody really expects it to come. It suddenly happens. They make an announcement. They end the truth embargo, and we're in the post-disclosure world. What they don't want to be, have happen is to be hounded into it by you know, hordes of screaming press that are pursuing the issue and driving and literally hurting them to disclosure. And hackers like Gary McKinnon can, can raise that, that possibility. So they sent a message, don't do this. If I'm right in this, in this theory, what will happen is at the very last minute, but when Gary is practically on his way to the plane with his mother and his attorney, Barack Obama will sign some sort of presidential directive saying that uh, this issue should be resolved in the UK. We're not. We, we end extradition. Or at the very last minute, the UK court will suddenly say, "No, we're not going to let you be extradited." Um, that's what I think is going on here. It's the only thing that explains it, unless the government is being incredibly stupid, and we can't underestimate that because lovely stupidity on the part of government policy has been fairly common. Uh, but let's be clear, if McKin- if they make the mistake of actually bringing McKinnon to the United States, whether it's good for Gary McKinnon or not, it's going to generate a huge amount of press. And most of this press is going to have the UFO connection. And that's going to generate a lot of media uh, interviews for UFO researchers and activists. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the, on, on the, uh, the embark- truth embargo. It's going to backfire, and, and it's going to create a big headache for those in the U.S. government that are still opposed to disclosure, 
so we'll see how that goes. But I would be shocked if Gary McKinnon actually sets foot. It's already started, by the way, because his mother, for the first time, just appeared for two hours on Coast to Coast AM with George yes. Norrie. Yes. It's an audience of two, three, four million. And so you see where this is going. So uh, unless their intention is to use Gary McKinnon now as a way of bringing the issue out even more as kind of a preparatory thing, fine. But I don't I don't think that they want a media storm leading into disclosure. This is why the facts on Washington is the most important project of PRG. We're literally trying to create that media storm. We're trying to break the media open. Uh, and it's the and we're, I'm hoping my, my strategic thinking is that the threat of that media storm will accelerate their uh, process of getting disclosure done uh, on their own without that. So it's a complicated chess game being played. Gary, Gary happens to be in the middle of this game. Uh, I think I hope it hasn't damaged him too much. I hope he comes out of it relatively whole. Uh, but it's uh, it has to be viewed in that rather complicated way to, to try to understand why in the hell. As the U.S. government spent a small fortune trying to extradite this poor U.K. guy, he went looking for UFOs. I can't even imagine the amount of stress that he's been going through in the past few years. But if it has been a public relations fiasco before the extradition process, if that happens, I think the public relations fiasco would be a million times more just because the the spotlight would be once more with him and then on the trial. Right. Now, getting back to disclosure. Don't you think the historical political legacy that will immediately attach itself to the First Nation who will come forward and acknowledge the AT presence is huge? But I re- it really makes me wonder. Take Brazil as an example. Do you think that the United States intimidates all these countries not to even attempt disclosure? In other words, yes, in principle, they know of the legacy they would create, but who knows what may come their way? An earthquake, perhaps? As you may know, the technology of weather manipulation is there with the plausible deniability factor, the perfect weapon. Is this a possibility to keep countries quiet about it? Well, this is not an area of my expertise. Uh, It is another rumor that's out there um, that, that fundamentally comes in the category of governmental distrust and paranoia which is merited. Uh, One of the most important, I think, realities of the second half of the 20th century is that uh, from the end of World War II up until the present, certainly through the mid-1990s, things took a rather odd turn. We we, we had a brief period where people were extremely... um, uh, respectful of government, trusting government because of its, its success in saving uh, uh, the United States from the Axis threats, winning the war, producing some rather extraordinary uh, uh, policies that, that were, that were I think, bringing the country towards prosperity, whatever. And that suddenly we ended, we, we slid into an era of growing and growing distrust of government, uh, not only here, but elsewhere, but certainly in the United States. Clearly, the people in Soviet Union, the communist countries like China, did not trust their government. That's understood. I'm talking about the West, and particularly the United States. And as this distrust has grown, as the trust levels have dropped further and further, the the fears that people have had about government doing this and doing that, the willingness to pursue 
conspiracy theories and rumors about government actions has grown and has become rather profound, including uh, theories about the HARP system, which operates several places in the world, including Alaska, uh, theories about vaccination programs, theories about weather control, seismic weapons, weapons in space, you name it. And this all comes under the heading of a fundamental distrust in government, which is now threatening, I believe, the, the republic and its future prospects. And this distrust is in no small part been driven by the decision to embargo the truth about an extraterrestrial presence and try to contain it and maintain it, which was increasingly apparent to people. So I, I do not know if we have seism seismic weapons. I do know this, that if any government, certainly the United States, was actually using that kind of technology to generate earthquakes, to intimidate people, that would be uh, war crimes of the highest level. It would be some of the most egregious acts ever committed by a government, and it would be right and proper that great numbers of people go to prison for a very, very long time. Now, let's get back into a more, much more traditional and mainstream perspective on this. Um, the, it, has, it has been my um, bent to try to understand the mechanics of the truth embargo. Uh, fundamentally, the embargo was maintained and cooperated with by the NATO allies because of the Cold War. And that was a fairly understandable thing. The Cold War was a very extraordinary circumstance, which we, we grew used to, and, and, and it became second nature to us, but and we shouldn't forget how extraordinary it was. Two nations built tens of thousands of nuclear warheads and sophisticated missiles and underwater submarines and positioned themselves to launch a war so devastating that it would very likely have generated a nuclear winter and killed off most of the life on the planet. That's kind of uh, severe. And so the concerns that the intelligence community and national security structures of the various nations had that introducing the extraterrestrial presence reality factor into this could destabilize the situation enough that some idiot would launch a preemptive strike. So I understand the cooperation. It's a, as the, when the Cold War ends, though, the willingness of these nations to go along with the truth embargo for another 19 years is a little more difficult to assess. Why have they waited so long? All right, two things. One, because of U.S. policies, I believe it's unquestionable that our influence in the world has dramatically decreased. Our, our, our prestige and esteem in the world is decreased. Uh, the willingness of people to go along with our policies has decreased. Our currency is coming under attack from multiple countries who have been boldly proclaiming that the dollar needs to be replaced by a global currency. Our balance of trade is a mess. We owe huge amounts of money to China, right? Which is mind-boggling when you think about it, but, you know, that's one way, I guess, to make an ally is to make them your bank, whatever. The point is, is that our, our ability to tell everybody how high to jump is simply not there, but yet they go along with it. 
what could be a reason? There's one that comes to mind, and it's a non-trivial matter. Again, one that you would not be able to even access unless you understood the reality of the ET presence and the truth embargo. And that has to do with the technology. Certain countries have craft, meaning X number of, of extraterrestrial craft have come in the hands of X number of countries. We do not know what the numbers are. We know that the, the United States has at least one vehicle, almost certainly two, and very possibly more than two. We do, we, there's a strong suspicion that Germany got its hand on a vehicle, which is an interesting matter, prior to World War II. Uh, which could have crashed in Germany, not likely, or elsewhere, and they got their hands on it. Some suspicion that a craft uh, was obtained by the Soviet Union. Don't know about China. But I think it's fair to say that the U.S. not only has craft, but that ET vehicles that crashed elsewhere, particularly in the, uh, the, the free world, the Western world, or anywhere where we have strong relations, that those craft would have been turned over to us. Let's say, in other words, if something crashed in South Africa, it's highly likely that would have been turned over to us prior to 1980s. Uh, so let's let's assume that the U.S. What we, the U.S. has got a substantial amount of technological development there. We have made progress. We know we know pretty with some certainty that we have developed anti-gravitic drive. So here's the equation: disclosure opens the door for that technology to be brought into the public domain. That technology, the physics of that craft, the energy and the propulsion, could change the world in ways which are almost difficult to fathom, but it would be profound. And the benefits to the human condition could be extraordinary. If the U.S. is the lead developer there, if we have done more with that tech than any other nation, then all those nations without that technology, which I'll include Brazil, and most likely France, maybe the UK, maybe not, Australia, Canada, whatever. These countries are will then be expecting to have access to it, to be able to license it, maybe for free, whatever. In other words, they 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 hope to be able to be part of the post-disclosure technological revolution. And to some degree, the U.S. has some influence there. And so to me, the best explanation, one of the best explanations, is that one of the reasons these countries are holding, while putting pressure on us, because they want the tech, but they're holding back in terms of disclosing themselves, and they could, is the technological issue post-disclosure. They, they, don't, they want unfettered access to that technology. They want our full cooperation. That's the best way that I can sort of explain it. Uh, there's a lot at stake there. But even though that may be true, the fact is that disclosure can be, could, be, could take place by China or Russia, even Brazil, the UK, France. And once disclosure takes place, that tech is going to be in play. And it will not be easy for the United States to hoard it. It will not be easy for the United States to use that technology as some kind of a big geopolitical hammer to go out and say, okay, you all are going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to follow our rules. Otherwise, we won't give you the goodies. Because that's not going to go over very well with the world. So all, all in all, uh, at some point, one of these countries is going to break ranks regardless and end the truth embargo on the spot. And any of the Western countries, any of the major allies of the U.S. with air forces, sophisticated technological equipment, uh, detection equipment, has the goods, I can assure you. 
it may not be known to their to their to their leader. It may not be known to their legislative body, but they have the goods and their military intelligence components to come forward to the public and convince them quite readily that the ET presence is real. And and speaking of China, ever since I was a child, I began studying the Far East, and I used to say China is a sleeping giant, and one day they will be the number one world power. And back in the 70s and 80s, people would laugh at me. I don't think anyone's laughing at the economic growth rate that they have, over 10%. Do you think China will start playing a larger role as it relates to formal acknowledgement? I think it's inevitable. China is the sleeping giant. Uh, I only hope that they keep a balanced perspective on that and don't do anything stupid. Um, China is has one of the longest histories as a cohesive uh, national or cohesive state, going back obviously to four thousand years. Yeah, Chia, who brought it all together. Uh, than any other part of the world. India, I think, is certainly in that category. Um, And they have never been comfortable with the respect that they are getting from the rest of the world as to their importance. They're a bit xenophobic. Uh, They're also not that multicultural. Well, they're multicultural in some ways, but overall they're fairly much less multicultural than most of the West. So uh, there's potential for increased xenophobia there. They have managed to maintain a control state by, by compromising on, on the economics. They're, they're developing great economic power. They have a space program. They have nuclear weapons, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So this idea that China is going to keep taking the backseat of the bus, that should be completely discarded. All right. So... The question is, how does China view this issue? Well, we know that China openly engages in UFO research. We know that they, they, ha- they do not object and, and seem completely comfortable with uh, the Chinese people doing UFO research. They still control the press, so you don't get the, 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 the press reports about UFO events with, with anywhere the frequency you get in other countries. But uh, they have no trouble with it. Uh, and they recently sent a very strong message to the United States regarding, I think, the truth embargo. When, uh, after the eclipse of July 22nd, which was seen by millions of Chinese and f- films filmed and photographed, when it's exactly as what happened in Mexico in 1991. 91. UFOs turned up uh, in and around the sun or in that area where, where they would obviously be seen. China let it be announced uh, a few months later on September the 7th that their Purple Mountain Observatory filmed the whole event with obviously extremely high quality astronomical camera and that they would and, and not and uh, we looked at it and there's nothing there. It's the planet Venus. But no, we'll be studying the film carefully over the coming months. This was a message from China that they definitely are a player. Um so, we, I mean, the, the question is not whether China is going to be a world power. The question in the 20s, 21st century is whether China is going to try to become the world power, whether they're going to try to, to, to become expansionist uh, and so forth, which could lead to awful things. So, let's hope China keeps at least some perspective. Which they have not. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, you know, when you look at the history of the last 60 years and you look at the actions of the Soviet Union, the actions of Russia and Chechnya, the actions of the United States, uh, we, there has been much more belligerence and much more uh, extracurricular activity going on outside of China than in China. China is, is, has maintained its controlled control state. Well, that's what it I'm has. saying. That they're not. They're, they're, they have not been expansionist. What I'm saying. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. Yeah, they have not demonstrated that yet. Right. Uh, but you know, uh, but they, they they are capable of it, and let's hope that they don't. I mean, Russia is still very concerned about the 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 size of the Chinese army and the amount of military presence on their border. So, the potential for a miscalculation on China um, is there. Uh, but to the extent that they are given, I guess, their proper due and their influence in geopolitical affairs is commensurate with their size, power, and scope, they, they may hold the line. But they are definitely a candidate to end the truth embargo, which raises the question, why on earth would China do it? Just, just for the political prestige and the historical prestige of being the lead country to end that embargo. It's an interesting question. The, the, there are a couple of complicated factors. One, they are, uh, they have, you know, a good deal of their economic rise has been on the backs of the United States, on uh, people in, in the United States uh, country. Uh, the, the huge imbalance of trade that we've maintained with China all these years has pumped enormous amounts of money into the Chinese economy. They are now holding huge numbers, many hundreds of billions of dollars of our paper. And so they kind of have a vested interest in the U.S. not completely falling apart. And, and, and if the U.S. Uh, ends the truth embargo, that will be a huge um, um, injection of energy and, uh, uh, and resource into uh, our, our status. And that they may look long term on that as in their benefit. Uh, there is still the issue of the technology and, their, and, and being able to get access to it. They don't want a post-disclosure technology Uh, race, where they're trying to catch up with the U.S.'s ET technological developments. They've got a country that's loaded with coal-fired and oil-fired plants. They've got huge pollution problems. Uh, Unless they have done as well with ET tech that they've got their hands on, and it's it's equally well positioned to generate uh, uh, non-polluting, non-carbon-based energy production based on ET physics, then they're going to need to get it from us. So that, that's a possible factor. Um, so again, I, I, without knowing the secret details of all these things, it's hard to say for sure. But so far, China's holding the line. Uh, they, but they do, they have enormous amount to gain from an, a technology breakthrough that the disclosure event would bring about. So they, they're, they're, if we don't do it, they are cl- clearly a leading candidate to end the truth embargo and the events surrounding the eclipse of July 22nd and the Purple Mountain Observatory because because that report that came out of that observatory, there's no way that even makes it to the media and, 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 and on to the Western world and the Western press unless the Chinese government wanted it out. So they that report came out because they wanted it out. They wanted the U.S. to know. We just filmed some UFOs during that eclipse. So we're going to be studying that with great detail. It's also a message to their own people. Right, that this issue is okay, and so interest in UFOs is just going to grow in China. 
uh, just like in Mexico after the eclipse of 91. And there's 1.3 billion Chinese. So pretty soon the U.S. is going to be sitting here. And there may be 600 million Chinese absolutely convinced that the UFO presence is real. And we're still going to be saying, uh, no, there's nothing nothing to see here. Move along, folks. And again, the absurdity of it all just grows. So um, the geopolitical equation and chess game going on now with disclosure is getting quite interesting. And China is now definitely a player. And we keep referring to the government, Steve. But what if the government... And this is not conspiracy theory. What if the government is just a puppet or of something bigger? And we go back to Senator Inouye's speech. I think we would have to be really ignorant not to know that big business rules the world and the government. So whatever they say goes. And if disclosure will threaten their income streams, they won't let it happen. I want disclosure as much as, as, much as you, but I just can't see how these people sitting on, on top of the pyramid will just let their empires crumble. Can you? Oh, yeah. Well, no, uh, but that's not the way things are. I mean, we, we, the world is a very complex place now. It's always been complex, but boy, is it complex now. It's like a four or five dimensional chess game going on all the time. Most people do not have the, 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 the time, the resources, or even the willingness to try to understand this huge, complex arena. And so, not surprisingly, they try to simplify it. Uh, it's easy to think that everything is run from some small, tiny group at the very top of the pyramid, whether it's the Illuminati or whatever you want to call them, and then everything is controlled from there. It just makes for a simple worldview. But it's not like that. It's nothing like that. I'm not saying there aren't lots of groups that want to exert power. There aren't lots of groups that want to influence events, that don't that want to line their pockets or control. There's plenty of that going on. There's lots of control groups everywhere. Uh, and I'm not saying that some groups don't have more power than others. Because if you have massive amounts of money, you have power. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that rather than some pi pure pyramid, you really have uh, many sub-Rosa entities uh, operating somewhat in secrecy, trying to influence world events. And in many cases, they're at odds with each other, right? They're not, they're not on the same track. They're competing with each other for influence. And so it's a much more complicated equation. Uh, and in terms of uh, money, and, and, uh, money and, and technology and everything else, it gets even more complicated. The fact is that it is true that certain segments of the industrial world benefited from the truth embargo. No question about it. Uh, the oil-based energy and the carbon-based energy industry would not have made as much money as it had or lasted as long as it did if the truth embargo had been ended 30 years ago or 40 years ago. So the nuclear industry, oil, whatever, coal, natural gas, as the truth embargo extended out, they became the dominant energy resources in the world. They made huge amounts of money. Uh, I am sure they, they completely underreported their, their resources, their reserves, uh, limited the production of refineries, did everything they could to maximize the price of this stuff so they could sell as much oil, coal, and natural gas for as much as they could. And that whole industry and the people in it are richer than God now. They've made fortunes. 
They've also polluted the atmosphere and killed, as a result of that particular approach to energy, many, many millions of people died. So the fact is, is that they, they, they would have been inclined to vote against a truth embargo coming to an end should, had they been given the choice. Now, the fact is, is that the truth embargo is near its end, regardless of their intentions now. Secondly, they've already made a huge amount of money, so they're quite wealthy. And thirdly, the technological breakthroughs that are eminent post-disclosure will open up a plethora of new business opportunities and technological uh, development spheres. It's going to be one of the most amazing and expansive periods in our history if that tech is anywhere near as good as we think it is. And so these energy industries and individuals will simply take their resources and invest them in this new arena. And they, because, you know, money is, you know, it takes money to make money. They will then have strong proprietary positions in a lot of this technology and the new businesses, and they will be richer than ever. I mean, that's just a fact. That's just the way it's going to be. The rich will get richer and the poor will get poor unless policies are instituted by nations to level the playing fields and distribute resources, distribute wealth. And that's another issue that's uh, still in doubt. But uh, the fact is, is that, the, that the, the truth embargo is no longer maintainable. The damage done by carbon-based energy systems is now clearly obvious and clearly as much as, as we can stand. And so we have to change. And so I do not see these barriers as a significant factor anymore. And a perfect example of that is the electric car. There's no question that the automobile industry suppressed the development of non-combustion engine vehicles for decades using whatever methods they wanted. And some of them probably were not particularly nice or even legal. But as we can see, everybody is now rushing to make an electric car now. And that's because, again, that era is over. The era of oil is coming to an end. The era of the combustion engine is coming to an end. Everybody knows that now, including the people that are in these, those industries. And they're simply going to transition to the new industries and, and start making money from an electric car. Some people would say, oh, it's the greening of the globe, or these people have found God. No. It's good business. They milk the system for everything they could get. Now they're going to milk the new system. That's the nature of a greed-based capitalistic approach to world affairs. Sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't. So, again, it's a much more complicated equation. And I, 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 I discourage people from overemphasizing this kind of purely pyramidal secret hierarchy approach to world dominance because it creates a sense of helplessness and detachment from world affairs and so people basically say to hell with it and why do i need to vote or even care it's all run by the illuminati well that's not true and they can make a difference they should be engaging uh their governments they should be voting they should be kicking some serious butt out there and they have the power still to do it and so i'm really not a, a big fan of the, the, the uber power uh, perspective on world affairs. It's not representational. 
uh, and it and it's not it's not helpful. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there aren't dark powers. I'm simply saying it's understanding what they can do and what they can't do is far more complicated than the typical um, uh, uh, models that are put out there. So it's it's a almost a transition transformation from one industry to another. You know, we remember in the 70s and 80s when the advent of personal computers. Mm. They displaced uh, uh, people, and people thought, oh, my God, you know, one computer's going to be able to do what 50 other people used to do. But those people found different or new industries. The service industry had a boom after the computer came about. But here's a comment that I received of somebody who knew. Yes, and somebody who, who knows that I was going to interview my friend Alan, a good friend of Colonel uh, Wendell Stevens. Yeah. Quote, he says, the feds won't be disclosing anything because they are there are too many skeletons in their closets. If the people actually knew what the feds have done over the years, there would be blood in the streets and various political and military types would have their bullet riddled bodies hanging from mm. streetlights. What other governments might do is an entirely different question, unquote. What's the solution to this, Steve? Amnesty? Well, uh, first of all, it's an overly simplistic view again. Uh, it's just not that simple. Uh, first of all, Disclosure of the ET presence is hardly going to mean that all the skeletons and all the closets are all going to be trotted out. That's not going to happen. Um, secondly, uh, the people already know that the governments have done bad things. There's no shock there. The people know, and, 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 and the analysts know, that in, in, in service of the Cold War, to defend ourselves against the Soviet threat, that we gave the government license to do just about anything it wanted to do. As long as those nukes didn't come raining down on our heads, fine. And so it's not going to be that shocking if people learn that, oh, they did this and they did that. Thirdly, the government primarily is in control of the disclosure process still. And they will do it. They will do it when they're ready to do it, though we could influence what constitutes ready. And they're hardly going to come out and say, oh, the ETs are real, and here's all the terrible things we did. Uh, so sorry. No. They're going to posit this in a way that's in their best interest. So the disclosure of ET presence will be followed by a controlled flow of information that will go forward for weeks and months, maybe years. And... It will be handled in a way that the emphasis for most, the vast majority of all people will be on the upside of all this. And the simplest way of putting it is this. If, 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 if you're the American people and you're told that ETs are in fact engaging the human race, that the government has some technology they've been working that they got from ETs, from crash vehicles most likely, that could lower their energy costs by 95%, create travel or ability to move goods and services and, and, and deal with other matters through electrogravitic, anti-gravitic rather, uh, propulsion systems. And there's a whole new world coming. The vast, vast majority of all people are going to say, bring it on. And yay and thank you very much. And a few will be going, wait a minute, what about this, that, and everything else? And those people are going to be drowned out by the vast majority. They could care less what some... CIA manager did in 1973 or, or, or what some army uh, specialist did with respect to a crash event in 1947. They're just not going to care. And so the, the, the history will simply move on. History is a rushing river. 
that's moving very quickly. And by and large, you just move with it. Once in a while, you can get up on the shore and look down on it and throw a stone at it. But mostly you just go along. This is, this is a, a major change in the world. And it will be vastly forward-looking. And so all of these concerns are just grotesquely overstated. And I'm sorry, I have great respect for many of my colleagues who do feel that disclosure is not possible for these reasons. And I only beg to differ because I don't think they're looking at a large enough picture. And then to, to uh, complete the point, understand this, that whatever deep, dark secrets we have, whatever skeletons we have in our closet, if Russia or Brazil or China discloses the ET presence tomorrow, we still have all those skeletons. They're still there. And they're still at risk of being found. And, and many will be found in the, the great reformist era, which I think is coming. And so essentially we get all the downside of our actions over the last 60 years without the, out the upside of being the disclosure nation. And so failing to disclose on our part just makes it worse, not better. And as my friend Dr. Paul Laviolette said during our interview, anti-gravitic technology is there, is here. He has even suggested to NASA and to the airline industry of mechanisms to, to improve travel. And as he said, it only takes a culture to, to improve their transportation system, I mean, from horse to, to boats to, to cars to airplanes, to see the economy of that country improve. So imagine if we could go from here to, to, uh, to Australia in one hour and, and take the, the goods and services that way. It would just create a, a, a – it would catapult the economy of this world incredibly. But, well, that's true, but, but the, the propulsion system is nothing compared to the energy impact. Right. Though we know more about the propulsion developments, there, there's no question that we have built our own anti-gravitic craft. Now, exactly how much they mirror the ET technology, uh, as opposed to being jury-rigged versions of it that we've created, right? It works, but it's not nearly as good as theirs. Don't know. But have we done it? Yeah, we've done it. And so the the... Post-disclosure benefits from anti-gravitic propulsion, I think we can count on. We don't have nearly as clear an understanding from, from the outside, looking at essentially what is a massively black operation, and has been from the beginning, uh, based upon little bits of information and the odd witness here and there. We don't have as clear understanding of how much progress they've made with respect to the energy. I mean, it's always it's possible that the ET energy physics still is so difficult that there's some aspects of it that make it unattainable from a purely terrestrial uh, perspective, that, that there's missing information and or technology that we can't generate. And that without direct ET involvement, we cannot use that energy. It's always possible. However, uh, we're not without our resources. And we have an unlimited money to study that those the energy systems those craft for six decades and i'm going to wager my bet is that we have done well there we have made substantial progress and as much as a transportation breakthrough can impact society and its long-term prospects dramatic change in energy is magnitudes more powerful uh, and the simplest way of putting that is this there is virtually nothing that humans do 
that does not involve and is significantly impacted by the cost of energy. Nothing. There's transportation costs are factored in, in a great deal of what humans do. But energy cost is a factor in virtually everything that humans do. And a, a every single percentage drop across the board in the cost of energy has significant impact. A major drop in energy cost of 40, 50, 80, 90 percent is virtually transformative. So the energy is where the real action is, but the transportation impact of anagritics would still be quite significant. You put the both together and it's another world. There's another way to look at this, um, and, that's, and that's this. There is no law in the universe or in physics that says that energy must be expensive. There isn't. It's, it's purely a matter of, of in specific circumstances, whether it's expensive or not. Uh, and obviously the example is the sun. The sun generates unbelievable amounts of energy every second. We get a tiny fraction of that, and it's completely free. The sun doesn't charge us a nickel. So, as we know, if we could tap it in the energy of the sun, we could have extremely cheap energy. Well, we've attempted to do that. We've made some progress. We're going to make some more progress. But overall, uh, we haven't been able to replace the expensive carbon-based systems. But this idea that energy has to be, no, not at all. If, if we were able to find a way to tap into the energy of the sun in a highly economical way, we would have vast amounts of energy at very little cost. We just haven't done it. The ETs have almost certainly found another, have, have another energy source that they've accessed. We have some sense of what it is. And it, it has to do with the fundamental energy of space. Our physics has now advanced to the point where we now understand that the actual energy around us is very, very great. Uh, and people say, well, wait a minute, uh, if there's a huge amount of energy around us, then we'd all be at huge risk and we'd all burn up or whatever. And uh, No, no, and it's deceptive. And, and for, for people that are not scientifically trained, it's somewhat perplexing, but I, I, the best analogy I use is the concept of mass and energy, which we didn't understand until relativity theory and quantum theory came about. But we know that mass and energy are convertible. Okay, fine. So right now I'm sitting in front of a desk that, and some tables that probably weigh, I don't know, about uh, 100, 200 pounds. And we know from physics that if we were to convert all of the energy in these this 200 pounds of desk, in uh, it, the mass rather in this in this desk to energy, which is doable theoretically, that it would blow up a good portion of the whole city that I'm in. Right. So um, all around us, just in the form of mass, is huge amounts of energy, and yet it's quite stable, isn't it? And so we don't think of it that way. Well, space is the same way. There's a great deal of energy. We, we understand that. If the ETs uh, and advanced technology systems are able to tap into that energy, then essentially they have they have found the fountain of uh, of uh, of prosperity. Uh, so that's literally what we're on the edge of. Super cheap energy virtually empowers the world and the people in it 
in ways we can't even imagine. Now, we can ex- we can misuse that power. We can go on some huge binge where we just go crazy and and act badly and 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 you and, t- and 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 misuse the enormous benefits of extremely cheap energy. That's our decision. But what what will be available to will be extraordinary. Uh, so, uh, and again, this whole idea of of impoverishment and everything else, we're so used to it. We can't imagine a world in which there is no poverty, in which everyone has pretty much everything they need. But and yet, that's quite possible. Uh, we just haven't been thinking that way. But it's all quite doable. So, uh, the, what disclosure pretends, if one looks at it in the proper perspective, is a world without need, without want, with abundance, where people can live lives in which uh, they have an enormous range of things they can do, not a lot of limitations other than the natural social and need for order and, and, and cooperation uh, on them. And this world is, is really at hand. And while we might, ru- uh, we might blow the opportunity, it's, it's, it's there, but we have to go through a door first. We have to go through the disclosure door to get there. We have to be able to get into that technology. And unless the ETs come down and take over and force it on us, which I don't expect to happen, we have got to arrive there through what I think is a, a, a historically uh, typical approach. We need to first acknowledge that we're not alone. Third, secondly, we need to acknowledge that we have that technology and we need to make it available. And we will live in a world where we have extraordinary opportunities and we'll also live in a world where we know that there are extraterrestrials in the galaxy. That's, that's this door we're going through. And long term, you know, as long as we don't blow ourselves up, it really doesn't matter whether we go through that door tomorrow or maybe 10 years from now or 30 years from now, barring a catastrophe, we will eventually arrive at this new status. But the fact is, is that we are at a critical point in human development and societal development in which we are an extremely dangerous place. We're like a planet full of 13-year-olds that all have, uh, you know, advanced weapons of mass destruction, right? And we're 13. We don't know better. And so as a result, we, we, we can really mess things up very quickly. We can, there's any number of calamities we can trigger. So we're really dangerous to ourselves right now. We're even threatening the planet's stability in some ways. And so we're going through an extremely risky time. So, so long term, there may not be a long term. And that's why disclosure needs to happen tomorrow, right? Because we're in a volatile, dangerous time. We need to get this done and move on before we do something truly stupid. That's kind of the best way to look at it. But barring some grotesquely stupid act where we really destroy the, 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 the civilization that we have, uh, long term, we will be in a world where ETs exist. We will have that technology, and the planet will probably be able to do things, and the people in it will be able to do things they, could, they can't imagine today. So one has a good reason to be optimistic, but not complacent. Uh, be optimistic for the future, but don't be complacent about the moment. We've got to get this done. We've got to get disclosure done, and we've got to get that technology out and available for uh, incorporation in a human situation. Uh, if, if contact happens as well, and the ETs are hanging out with us, and a more advanced, sophisticated technological exchanges take place, where we receive even more technology, including biotech, which is a whole other issue. Wonderful. Great. Uh, I would speculate that that the, the latter happens if the former takes place. So 
again, I'm optimistic. You know, I, my optimism only gets uh, worn a little thin if, when I turn on the television and watch the news. <laughs> my too. Way. Yeah, absolutely. But then my I turn too. the TV off and my optimism starts to come back. And like you say, the magnitude of disclosure on a worldwide public media scale would absolutely trump any paradigm shift in all of world history. This cannot be understated. Yet many people are very blasé about disclosure. If someone can actually conceive what the implications were, total and absolute chaos, not a negative quote-unquote chaos, but just severe deconstruction requiring severe reconstruction across all of human society. It is very easy to see why anybody in power would not want this to happen. But can you give us a succinct comment on what would prompt any of the world's powerful organizations or governments to actually attempt disclosure, knowing how the entire world would change? Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.